And it's good to be with you all this morning. No, we're not studying Genesis today. That's what we will start doing next week. That's going to be our, our series for this fall and spring. We'll be looking at the book of Genesis. And I'll warn you, it's going to be intense, and at times it will be controversial, but throughout it will be life-changing. Genesis is one of my favorite books of the Bible. I'm really excited to share it with you this year. So we'll start that next week. Today, Zach Nigliazzo and I are actually going to be tag-teaming. Uh, we're going to be finishing up our family series as we talk about the family at the end of the summer here at Grace. And I want to begin by giving you a little report. Some of you happen to know this. Uh, About two weeks ago, Brian Fisher, our senior pastor, and I went to Chicago to visit a large multi-campus church because we wanted to learn from them and see how God has multiplied their ministry. And the reason that we went to Chicago to visit with this church is because we and the elders are convinced that God is calling grace to multiply. He's calling us to launch our next campus very soon. In two more weeks, we're going to be completely packed, maybe next week, because this is crazy. How many of you came today? We're going to be packed out. We're going to fill the foyer. Anderson will be full. There will be no room for anyone else. So there'll be no more room for that huge, biggest ever freshman class. There will be no room for visitors. There will be no room for families. There will be no room for children. We were already turning away children today because we are completely out of room. And that means that we must launch our next campus as soon as possible, and then another one, and then another one, just to keep up with what God is doing in this community. And so we went up to Chicago to visit with a church called Harvest Bible Chapel. It's a church of about 14,000 meeting in seven campuses. There's a lot that we learned. We'll share more of that later. But one of the most important lessons that we learned is what I want to share with you this morning. And I'll frame this as a question. So let me ask you this. Uh, To launch our next campus, what is the primary thing that we need to do? Well, most people would assume that the answer is you've got to raise money and build a building. But that's not been the case for Harvest Bible Chapel. Actually, um, they didn't have to raise a whole lot of money and, and build a lot of buildings. Uh, one of their campuses is in a rented community center. It costs very little, was very easy and quick to start up, and now they're off to a great start. Some of their other campuses came actually even, even cheaper than that. They have a $54 million campus uh, that was their third campus to start. It fits 3,000 people. Guess how much they paid for that one? Hobby Lobby bought it for them and gave it to them for $1. So if any of you know anyone at Hobby Lobby, (laughs) I would like their phone number because they do that kind of thing. That's not the first time they've done that. So they got that one for $1. They got a fully functioning TV studio for free that's now another campus. And then just recently, a family gave them the old Masonic Temple in downtown Chicago for free. That's their newest campus. I can't fathom how much that real estate's worth. God gave it to them. So buildings and money, that's not hard for God. He can provide that at any time in a big way or in a small way. That's not the primary thing we need because God can take care of that in an instant. It's not money and buildings that we need above all else to launch our next campus. What we need, here's the answer to the question. What does grace need to do primarily to launch our next campus? It is make disciples. More important than raising money or building buildings, we need to make disciples of Jesus Christ who make other disciples of Jesus Christ. That's what Harvest has learned. That's actually what we saw when we launched Southwood five years ago this month is when we launched Southwood. It's not about money and buildings. It's about making disciples. 
That's what Jesus called all of us to do. Not just as a church, but every single one of you, everyone here, Jesus commissioned you to make disciples. That is your task in life according to Jesus. His last words in the book of Matthew, his great commission, Matthew 28, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. That's Jesus' marching orders to his church. It's his marching orders to every one of us individually. That's what your life is about. Have you wondered, what am I supposed to do with my life? Well, job, spouse, that's all important stuff. But the most important thing is this. This is Jesus' mission for your life, to make disciples You make disciples of Jesus Christ. That's how the church grows. That's how Grace Bible Church will multiply is when all of us are participating in Jesus' command to make disciples. But this word disciple, this phrase, make disciples, there's a problem with it. It's churchy language. It's insider language. Disciple, that's a word you hear at church, but you, you don't hear it in the world at large. And so most people who come to church, they hear people saying, disciple, disciple of Jesus, and they got no idea what it means. It's like someone speaking another language to them, because we never pause to define this word that we're using, this significant word, disciple. Reminds me of my son, Luke. He is now three years old, and yeah, (laughs) crazy cute. Um, For some reason this last summer, Luke decided that it would be fun to begin speaking in his own language, and so he does it frequently. So he'll come to the breakfast table, and I'll ask my son, Luke, what would you like me to make you for breakfast? To which he will say, orga morga forga borga. And... (laughs) That's really cute, but I don't know what to do with that. I I don't know what that is. I don't know what the words mean that are coming out of his mouth. And so it's cute for like 30 seconds, and then it's frustrating because I don't understand what those words mean. A lot of people feel that way when they walk into a church because we use insider language, churchy words that no one knows what they mean, and disciple is right there at the top of the list. What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? What does it mean to make disciples? Let me give you a really simple definition of this crucial term. What does it mean to make a disciple, to be a disciple? Well, that word disciple in Greek, all it means is learner. Learner, someone who learns to follow someone else. Someone who learns to follow the example of their teacher. And so in Matthew 28, what Jesus is calling you to do with your life is make disciples of him, to make learners who follow Jesus. Now that process of making disciples, becoming a disciple, that begins with the gospel. You see, none of us are born disciples of Jesus. None of us are born followers of Jesus. We're born followers of sin. We sin, and that sin makes us guilty before God. But in grace, God offers us forgiveness and deliverance from the penalty and power of sin. And and that deliverance comes the moment that you believe the really good news about Jesus, the gospel, this, this good news about Jesus that he took your sin and your guilt and your shame upon himself. And he went to the cross to die, to pay the penalty of your sin. And then he rose from the dead, conquering sin so that God could offer to you the free gift of eternal life. Forgiveness isn't something you work for. You don't earn God's love. It's a free gift that comes to you the moment that you believe that his son died for you and rose from the dead. The moment that you believe that good news, you become a disciple of Jesus. That's when a disciple is born, that moment. 
So you become a disciple the moment that you believe the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and then you grow as Jesus' disciple as you learn to observe all that he commanded. Back to Matthew 28. For everyone who believes, we teach them to observe or obey all that Jesus commanded, to follow in all of Jesus' steps. That's what it means to grow as his disciple. You learn to obey him in every part of your life. Or as Paul puts it in Colossians 1, he uses similar language. We proclaim him admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man or every person complete in Christ. That's what it means to be a disciple. You are complete in Christ. You are completely formed into the likeness of Jesus Christ. You mimic his character in every part of your life. In every way you are following in his steps. That's what a disciple does. Or as Paul puts it in Galatians 4, my children with whom I am again in labor until Christ is formed in you. Being a disciple of Jesus means that that Jesus is being formed in you so that you look more and more like Jesus. The goal of, of a disciple is that when the world sees you, they would see Jesus. They would see his love in you. They would see his compassion in you, his humility in you, his his selflessness in you. That's what it means to be his disciple. You follow him so closely that when the world sees you, they see him. So a disciple, simply a learner, a person who is learning to follow in the steps of Jesus, to be more and more like him in every way. Grace Bible Church will grow. We will multiply as every one of us grows to be a disciple of Jesus and helps others become disciples of Jesus. That's how the church grows. That's how God designed it. Each of us growing as Jesus' disciple and helping someone else to grow as his disciple. That's God's call for your life. It's his commission for our church. But let's get practical. How do you actually do that? How do you make a disciple of Jesus Christ? Well, the Bible lays out a simple five-step process, five things that you do to help someone grow as a disciple of Jesus Christ. Five-step process, it begins with a decision that you make. Step number one of making disciples is you personally commit to give your life to this command that Jesus gave to make disciples. You see, making disciples, it doesn't happen by accident. You're not just walking through life, doing your stuff, and you look around and see, man, I got all these disciples of Jesus around me. That's not how it works. It doesn't happen by accident. You have to be intentional and invest your time and energy into this process of training and equipping and raising up disciples of Jesus Christ. So you got to decide today, I decide I'm going to be involved in this great commission, this sacred task that Jesus has given me to make disciples for him. So that's step one. You commit personally. You can do that anytime. Commit to make disciples with your life. Step number two, you share the gospel in word and deed. The Bible is clear. You can't create a disciple of Jesus Christ. You don't have that power. Neither do I. Human beings, we don't have the ability to create disciples. Only God and his sovereignty can do that. Our responsibility is simply to share the one and only message that God uses to create disciples, and that's the gospel, the good news about Jesus. And so you share the gospel in words and in deeds. You, you share it in words. You need to know the good news about Jesus. You need to know it cold. 
You need to know what the gospel is. You need to know at least a few verses of the Bible that you could use to explain it. If you don't, if you don't know how you would tell somebody how to have eternal life, how to find forgiveness, if you're fuzzy on the gospel, let me encourage you to come talk to, to me or to Zach or to anybody, anybody in leadership here at Grace Bible Church. We would love to sit down with you and help you to know how to share the gospel. Because that's how people come to faith. That's how people come into the kingdom of God as they hear the words of the gospel. You need to know how to share those words clearly. And then you need to know how to share the gospel, not just with your words, but with your actions. You back up your words. You demonstrate the truth of your words through the supernaturally righteous life that you live. As you live out Jesus' love, Jesus' compassion, Jesus' humility, then, then the world sees, hey, this Jesus guy, he's worth paying attention to. So share the gospel with your words and with your actions. God and his sovereignty and grace, he will use this, this sharing that you're doing. As you're sharing the gospel, he will reach down into the life of some of the people you're sharing the gospel with and he'll turn the lights on so that they hear and understand the beauty of the gospel and believe. And a disciple is born. And that prepares you, that leads you to the third step. So the third step in making disciples is you provide them the essentials. When a person first believes the gospel, uh, they are born again. So spiritually speaking, they're a baby believer. But what does a a baby need? In real life, what, what do babies need? Well, just really basic things. They need love, they need protection, and they need food, and they need someone to clean up their messes. That's that's really about it. They just need the basics, the essentials of life. So it is with a new disciple, with a new believer, a baby Christian who has just heard the gospel. They just need the basics. They need someone to sit down with them and explain, who is God? They need to understand, who's this guy Jesus? How do I know that I'm saved? What is sin and how do I avoid it? What is righteousness and how do I practice it? They just need the basics of the Christian life. So you need to be ready to share that with them, to share with them the essentials. Now, to that end, because we think this is so important to be able to share the essentials of the faith, we've created a Bible study, a packet that we call the essentials. We put it on our website. If you go to grace-bible.org and hit resources and Bible studies, it's right there near the top, essentials. If you've never seen that packet, if you don't have a copy, it's free. We want you to download that and have that available. We can give you a hard copy. We want you to have the essentials so that you know them and so that you can give them to someone else. You provide the essentials to a new believer. So we'll actually have a class going through the essentials later this semester. If you've never been through an essentials class, we'd love to take you through that so you can know how to provide the basics of Christianity, the basics of the faith to a new believer. So that's step number three. You provide the essentials. That prepares for step number four. You train this new disciple to become self-sufficient. So one of my best days in parenting was when my little girl, Gracie, she's Luke's twin. They're both uh, three and a half now, was the first day that she went to the bathroom on her own. And what I mean by that is she didn't come and tell me anything. She just walked to the bathroom by herself and she pulled down her pants and hopped up on the toilet, did her business, hopped down, pulled up her pants, washed her hands, dried her hands, came and told me after the fact that, Daddy, I went to the bathroom. I figured we need to throw a party right now. I'm going to give you a treat, and I'm going to give me a treat, because this is a big day for me. That's like huge success as a parent, because that's that's one of our primary goals as parents, is to help our kids become self-sufficient. That's the goal of growth, that they become self-sufficient. If a two-year-old can't use the restroom on their own, that's okay. But at 12, there'd be a problem with that. 
We want people to grow to be self-sufficient, and so it is with the spiritual life. We want you to become self-sufficient. You want your new disciple to, to be able to feed themselves from the word of God, to be able to pray without you. They know how to go to the Lord in prayer. They know how to worship. They, they know how to serve the Lord with their spiritual gifts and be a part of the body of Christ. They, they know how to be held accountable and how to walk with the Lord for the rest of their lives. That's step number four. You train your new disciple to be self-sufficient so they can walk with God for the rest of their lives. And that prepares you for the fifth and final step, which is really, it's, it's the goal. It's kind of the finish line of, of making someone a disciple of Jesus Christ. Step number five, you commission them to join you. You commission or call them to join you in this task of making disciples. That's ultimately the goal, that this person who you invested your life in, they now are investing their lives in someone else. That's how the church grows. Not when pastors do stuff, but when everybody out in the pews trains up disciples who train up disciples, that's how the church grows exponentially. So you, you train them to train others. As Paul put it in 2 Timothy 2, this is one of our primary verses for all of us here at Grace Bible Church. 2 Timothy 2, 2, the things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. That's your goal. You're investing your life in someone who's gonna turn around and repeat the process. Raise up more followers of Jesus Christ. That's how Jesus' church grows. So let me make this concrete. Let me be explicit here. Um, my hope is that on Sunday morning, and, and almost every Sunday morning, I present the gospel, and on many of those Sunday mornings, someone believes for the first time. It just it suddenly makes sense to them. And every once in a while, one of them has the courage to come up and tell me, hey, I, I just accepted the gospel. Now what do I do? Well, my hope is that I can look at any one of you, call you over and say, hey, will you disciple our new brother or sister in Christ? And you would look at me and smile and say, you bet. Because you would have the passion and the ability to disciple that new believer. That's what I hope will be true for every one of us in this room. That all of us would have the passion, the commitment, and the ability to make disciples for Jesus. That's what he has called us to do. That's how the church grows. That's how Grace Bible Church prepares for the next campus and the next and the next and the next. So let me give you a challenge and end my time before I turn it over to Zach. As we enter into the fall, I want to challenge you to make this fall count for eternity. And the way that you do that, if you want this fall to count for eternity, the way you do that is you participate in the commission that Jesus has given you to, to make disciples for him. So I want you to make this fall count. I want you to ask yourself a couple questions. Number one, how can I grow this fall? Where do you need to grow in your walk with Jesus so that you're ready to disciple someone, so that you're ready to invest in their lives? Do you know the essentials? Are you clear on the gospel? Do you know how to study the word of God? Do you know how to pray? Do you have accountability? Are you using your gifts? Where do you need to grow so that you're ready to make disciples? And then the second question to ask yourself, who can you help grow? I can almost guarantee you God has brought someone into your life who is not as far along as you. They're not as far along in a spiritual journey. Maybe they're not even a believer yet, or maybe they're just a baby believer, but, but Jesus has brought them to you so you can invest in their life, so you can help them to grow as a follower of Christ. Who is the, the man or the woman, the guy or the gal, who you're gonna invest in this fall so they can grow as a disciple of Jesus Christ? Make this fall count for eternity.
Now, the reason that we're looking at discipleship this morning as part of our family series is because we believe that the family is the primary place where God has called us to do this discipleship thing, parents discipling their kids to follow Jesus for a lifetime. And so I've asked Zach Nigliazzo, our children's pastor, to come to talk to us and give us ideas and vision for how we invest in our kids and help them to grow. And as I look out right now, I see a lot of you are students And so you're thinking, what am I going to get out of this section? Um, Let me encourage you. We were all students once. Zach and I both were. One day, Lord willing, you will be parents. And all of a sudden, you will realize that you were not qualified to be a parent. And and you're scared and, and you're afraid. So pay attention this morning. You can already begin to think about how God is equipping you to be a great parent one day. So Zach, if you want to come up. All right. Thank you, Blake. Uh, like Blake said, my name is Zach Nigliazzo. That is Sicilian. Watch out. We've got, um, it's, it's fun to be here this morning. I, I do have to tell you. So I've been in my position as children's pastor here at Grace for about a year. And then before that, I was in seminary up in Dallas for three years. And then right before that, I was actually from 2003 to 2009, I was on staff here at Grace as the youth pastor. Now, I have a little bit of a claim to fame here at this church. And I've checked the record books. I think this is accurate. But I think I hold the title from 2003 to 2009 as most prayed for man at this church. People who are laughing know this. Um, I was single, okay? I was a single youth pastor. And every time I saw someone in the hall, they'd say, hey, Zach, how's it going? Hey, we're praying for you to get a wife. (laughs) And so I I just, I am here today to testify to the power of prayer, (laughs) to the power of congregational prayer, to the power of persistent prayer over years because I actually did get married, okay? Thank you. This is... This is my lovely wife, Catherine. Uh, she was willing to take a last name like, like Nigliazzo, so I was like, hey, that's, um, I know you love me for who I am. So, Especially after I told her it meant buzzard. After, on the second date, I thought, well, she loves me for who I am. That's, that's a good start, right? So, um, yeah, we got, we, date, we got set up on a blind date the week I left Grace Bible Church and moved to Dallas. And we dated for two years, we've been married for two years, and it's been an amazing experience um, to be married. So today, I get to talk about a playbook. Now, over the last few weeks, as Blake talked about, we've been talking about the family, and we've talked about the purpose of the family, primary vehicle to pass on our faith to the next generation, and the pillars of the family, strong marriages, strong parents. Those are the pillars. Today, I get to talk about a playbook. And here's the deal with the playbook. It's something we're developing and building within our family ministry because we want to help equip parents to do what Blake challenged all of us to do with someone this semester. We want to help parents do that with their kids, to disciple their kids. Now, I may be in children's ministry, but I have to tell you this. I believe that children's ministry is family ministry. If you're pouring into someone's kid, you are pouring into a family. If someone poured into you when you were a kid, they were pouring into your family. And families are one of the most beautiful pictures of who God is in this world. Let me give you an illustration. When I was younger, when I was in my 20s, I was looking at growing in my faith. I was pondering the depths of God. I was reading. And one of the questions I asked was, God, why did you design the family? And God didn't speak to me audibly, but he gave me a picture, I felt. 
And here's what it was. We are born into this world sinful and selfish. We come in with our own agenda. We come in very conditional. I want it my way. And, it's, and we, we love with a condition. We love conditionally. Now, the way God has designed it, and this is in a healthy family, we, we have parents who love us unconditionally. So we love conditionally someone who loves us unconditionally. Now, if we progress and hopefully we mature and grow, we enter the next stage, which I just entered two years ago, and that's marriage. And now God has called me to love my wife unconditionally as he's called her to love me unconditionally. So unconditional to unconditional. Now, if we are so blessed and your prayers work for me, because I'm going to ask you to, now you can pray for us to have kids, because we'd like to start that. If your prayers are answered and we get to have kids, I'm going to enter a phase where now I'm going to go love unconditionally someone who loves me very conditionally and selfish. Do you see the progress? There's a beautiful progress towards understanding and experiencing and living out the love that God has for us, the love, unconditional love God has for us, sinful humanity. It is a beautiful picture in the family, and specifically in parenting. Now, I know we can experience that in other ways, and I know we can grab a hold of God's love in other ways, but there's something about being a parent, whether you have a natural birth or you adopt into your family, of what unconditional love means for someone who could rip your heart out. It's a beautiful picture. As I was pondering this, a verse that jumped out to me as well is this verse, Romans 1.20. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. Every time I read this verse, my first inclination was to jump to natural things, to think about God's creation, the mountains and whatnot. And I've climbed 14,000 foot cliffs and um, I've looked over valleys and I've always laughed and I thought, you know, the Rocky Mountains are like God's fingertip on the earth, the ridges and the valleys. It's like God pointed and went, boom, the Rocky Mountains. And I've looked at it and I thought, wow, look at the power and majesty of God's creation. I've looked at the, the lakes. I've looked at the, the oceans and the canyons, even the intricacy of a flower. But let me ask you this. Do you see God in this picture? Let me tell you about this picture. There is nothing that bears the image of God that takes the image of God besides humans. Mountains weren't made in the image of God. Humans were. We were. Right here the image of God can be thrown out into the world that needs to see it. Think about this marriage. What a great illustration of our God. In marriage, the two become one. In the God, we have the Trinity, the three that are one. Three persons, one God. It's a picture of the person of God. And what about when parents bring in kids? The unconditional love for sinful humanity is seen. See, this, through what God has made, is a beautiful picture of himself, how he designed the family. But parenting is very difficult. And you can ask any parent that. It is a hard process. It's hard enough to walk with Christ as an individual. Now add marriage on that, then add kids on that. It's difficult. Because this is the process. This little baby comes into this world Naked, wide-eyed, screaming, selfish. 
own agenda. And we're supposed to bring this kid, if you're a parent, all the way over here, 18 years, plus or minus several, to get to a place where they are physically mature, mentally mature, emotionally mature, spiritually mature, to launch them out into the world to make an impact for Christ. That is a tall order. That's a tall order for a parent. I love this quote. Nothing has made me feel more incompetent as a human being than parenting. Now, you know who said this? This is Brian Fisher, who is our head pastor. Okay? And you know who was sitting right next to him going, "Uh uh-huh, you all feel that way? Blake Jennings. I mean, these are the two leaders of our church, you know? They, They know the Bible backwards and forwards. They could quote the whole book of Genesis to you. They meet with God in their offices and they come out and their faces are glowing like Moses on the mountain. And that's what they think? You know what? It's because they know. They're realists. It's hard. It's very, very difficult to be a parent. And so one of the things that we think about in family ministry is we want to help. We want to help that. Um, One of our pastors showed this picture two weeks ago, and this is a picture that a a 10-year-old drew when he was, this pastor was talking about Psalm 127, that kids are like arrows in the hands of a great warrior. Blessed is the man who has a quiver full of arrows. And this is a 10-year-old who drew this. This is his parents, kind of a half-mom, dad thing, um, (laughs) shooting, shooting this 10-year-old into the world, Okay. And every parent asks this question, how do I shape and form an arrow so that it will be ready to launch over here? After 18 years of discipleship, how do I launch that arrow? That's the question parents ask. Now, I, as a staff member and the rest of our family ministry staff and our pastoral staff, we're asking a slightly different question. The question we're asking is, how do we help parents do that. And we see this in Ephesians. God said, and he, and God gave some as apostles and prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature, which belongs to the fullness of Christ. See, Parents' job is to raise their kids. Your job is to disciple other people. Our job as a staff is to help equip you to do that. Teach you how to share your faith. Teach you how to work with your kids. That's our job. And that is something that Blake and Brian, as lead pastors of our church, have challenged us over and over again. Excel still more. Excel still more. And we feel like we have some really good programs. We feel like people come in on a Sunday and we give them great teaching. We give them great programs. We've got great children's program, great Club 56, great youth ministry, a great striving college ministry. We've got good family things going on, but we want to excel still more. And so we have been thinking about how do we do that? And here's one of the things that happened. This beginning of this year, the turn of the year, we had a family ministry meeting. And we sat in this meeting. It was an hour and a half meeting, and it turned into five. As we sat there into the late night thinking about, God, what would you have us do with families? How can we do this to equip parents to raise their kids, this 18 plus or minus discipleship process? And we came up with, 
in this time we felt like God met us, we came up with a very similar thing that Blake already shared. The stages of discipleship is still the same, even if it's over 18 years. Now, I made some modifications of this for parents, how we make disciple, disciples as parents. We commit to make disciples of our kids. We share the gospel and word and deed with our kids. We provide the essentials to our kids. We train your kids to be self-sufficient. We commission our kids to make disciples. And I added one. We walk alongside them in life. This is the Paul and Timothy. Paul discipled Timothy, brought him up, planted him in a church of Ephesus and said, take this thing and run with it. And Timothy did. Now imagine as Paul would come back and he would converse with Timothy. Yes, he will all, Timothy was always Paul's disciple, but they were now at a different place, friends, talking about the journey of making Christ known, the struggles of walking through life. You see, if you're a parent in this room, I want to tell you this. Even if you're a grandparent or a great-grandparent, you never stop being a parent. Well, let me say this. Unless, unless your kids are gone, I understand that. But you never stop being a parent. And so you will always continue to walk alongside your kids in this life. It might look a little different, but it's part of the process. And so as we looked at this, we thought, you know, this, this discipleship process is very similar. How can we incorporate this? into our family ministry for parents. And we came up with a working title. Right now we're calling it Parenting with Grace. And we've got four aspects to this I want to share with you. And here what they are. Number one, it's bring the wisdom together. Now you look at me and Zach, what do you mean by that? Let me give you an illustration. If I went to everyone in this room and I asked you this question, how do you connect with God? I would probably get some basic things. Well, prayer, um, Bible study, go to church, worship. But if I asked you the specifics of all of those, I would have different answers for every person in this room. Because we all connect. We're all different. We're all unique. There are all differences in our lives and the way that we connect. And so we would all have slightly different things. Some, this works for me. This works for you. It's the same with families. Every family is different. And yet there are the basics that need to be done. But some things work in this family, in this situation with this kid. And some might work with a son or some might work with a daughter. Now imagine if I could come in this room and I could get everybody's experience If I could take all the families and say, what have you been doing that works in your home? What have you been doing that doesn't work in your home? What if I could get all of you college students? This is a subliminal message right here. If I could get all of you college students to email me, take out a smartphone, write this down and email me this week. What is something that worked in your family that your parents did or didn't do that increased your spiritual life? Do you imagine the wisdom that I could pull out of this room to give to other family members, whether they got young kids or they're struggling to get their junior high to walk with Jesus, the information that I could give them out of the wisdom that exists right in here? I want to ask you to do that for me this week. Now, I want to say this to the college students. Here's another thought. There's wisdom among yourselves. I want to give you this thought. Meet with two other people this week who are walking with Jesus and ask them, Hey, tell me, tell me how you pray. Just ask them, tell me how you pray. And then see if they might, you might learn something and incorporate it in your life. And try it out. Share with, you, share with them what you do to pray and how you pray. There is wisdom when we share it and we gather it to one another and we ask good questions of each other. So that's one of the things we want to do is gather the wisdom that exists from other family members, other parents, and other members of this church. Now, the next thing we want to do is this. 
We want to put that information at our parents' fingertips. There is so much information in this world right now with the information age. There's good information. There's bad information. There's books. There's research. There's blogs on all of this type of stuff. What we want to do is grab that, distill it down, and present it to our parents and families in a very simple way. Instead of saying, go read five books, we want to read those books for you and bring it down and give you, here's the highlights. So it's easier to, we know how fast-paced life can be. And in all these areas, that's where we want to do that. Okay, those six stages. Now, next we want to do this, keep intentional parenting in front of our parents. I would also add for college students, we want to keep discipleship, intentional discipleship in front of you. As Blake said, it doesn't happen by accident. You've got to stay at it day after day. You got to stay after it. A great verse in Deuteronomy 6 that I think it challenges parents of how to be intentional at parenting is this. The words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. So, much, Girls, what do you do when you fall in love with a guy? You just talk about it all the time and you're telling your friends about it. And same with the guys. And we're expressing that and sharing that. Imagine if God's word so lived on our heart that we were sharing it. In this way, you shall teach them diligently to your sons and you shall talk of God's word when you sit down, when you're in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up diligently and consistently an outflow of what God's doing in our heart because it's so affecting us. That's one of the things it takes to be intentional in our parenting. And we believe that parenting is a non-negotiable. And here's why. If you decide as a parent to check out because you don't know what to do, you're too afraid, you feel ill-equipped, you're scared, you are still training your child. You are still shaping their understanding of who God is, their theology, and their spiritual life. You can't check out because you will influence them for good or for worse. And so we feel like we need to keep intentional parenting in front of our parents at Grace Bible Church. Last thing we want to do is we want to encourage. No one is perfect. No parent is perfect. And this is Grace Bible Church after all. There is grace. There's reconciliation. There's restoration. There's, there's come as, as you are and let's do this together because it's difficult. Discipleship over that amount of time can be very difficult. But we want to encourage you. My wife has run four marathons. Has anybody ever run a marathon? Give me a whoop. Little whoop. That's because she just ran it. She's tired. Got no breath. My wife knows what it's like to be in a long-term race. And a lot of, for all of us, discipleship could be a three-year process. You could meet someone as a sophomore in college and disciple them for three years or on. Or you could be a parent and you've got a kid for 18 and you've got to disciple them. It's a step-by-step process. And my wife is tenacious about encouragement. We've got a friend who's running a marathon. We're out there with signs. We're out there cheering them on. And we're getting in the car and going to the next spot to cheer them on again. That's what we want to do. We want to encourage our parents because it's a battle in this world. Now, those are the four points that we want to start to implement now, this semester, the years to come in our family ministry. We want to bring the wisdom together. We want to put in the information at our fingertips. We want to keep intentional parenting in front of us and we want to encourage.
Now, let me give you a quick example of how this might work. If you're a parent out there, let me give you a quick example. Let's say we wanted to implement prayer in our families this semester. So let me give you three thoughts. Let's take, we'll go across our ministries. We'll take our little kids and for children in uh, early childhood, we'll say this, just teach them how to pray at a meal. Talk to other parents, figure out what is a one way I can teach my kid how to pray at a meal. Okay, let me give you one example. This is a little boy. Clap, clap, hands, Oh, I mean, clap, 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 hands, welcome to you. Clap, 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 hands, welcome for our boy. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. For our food. For our food. And your many blessings. And your many blessings. So let's say this semester, that's great, isn't it? Four years old. Let's say this semester we're going to teach our littlest kids just to pray at a meal. Let's say for our elementary age kids, we're going to teach them to reflect on the day and pray when they go to bed. And there are many ways you could teach your kid to pray when they go to bed. Let me give you one. You could take some popsicle sticks. And I asked a parent this. This is gathering the wisdom, and they told me this. They take some, par- some popsicle sticks, and they write people's name on them or things they want to pray for. Stick them in a cup, and every time their daughter goes to bed, they say, let's pull out some popsicle sticks and pray. Practical, right there in front of them, and it teaches them to pray for other people. It teaches them intercessory prayer. Things like that. That's just one example. Let's say if, you, if we've got junior high kids or above, Club 56, five fifth graders above, let's just do this. Let's teach him to pray to begin their day off. And here's one way to do it. Just one. All you got to do is a simple question. How can I pray for you today? Helps teach our kids to start the day off thinking about God, thinking about that I need him throughout the day and thinking that I've got someone who's praying for me. So if you're a parent, do something like that. Teach some of your older kids how to start praying and thinking about God in the morning. Let me say this. Let's say you're already doing these things. Get with some other parents. Talk about ways that you could excel still more with your kids. And for those of you who don't have kids, we've already given you some challenge today, but I want to ask you for this. College students, pray for us. Pray for our church. Pray for our families. The stronger the families we have in this church the better your experience will be at this church. So pray for our families and pray for our parents. Let me pray for us now. Father, I thank you for your grace and mercy. I thank you so much for this full room. I thank you, Father, that you have called us to a task that we have to rely on you and one another to achieve, and that is to take the name of Christ and make disciples of all nations. And Father, we know that that is a huge task. And right now, I pray for us that you would begin right now putting someone on our heart or bringing someone across our path today, tomorrow, within the week, within the month that we might begin to pour into and disciple ourselves. And for parents, I pray that you would bring encouragement. I pray that you would surround them with parents that they can walk with and stay in this battle together so that we can bring these little kids naked and screaming to a place of spiritual maturity to launch them out into this world, to impact this world for the name of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You're dismissed. Go Aggies!